Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's season two of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Greg Koch. We're having a lot of fun. Got a bunch of great guests lined up. We're talking about guitars. Sometimes we talk about food. Sometimes we talk about aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just having a good old time. We're chewing the gristle for pity's sake. You know, and gristle is where fat meets flavor. This week on Chewing the Gristle, we've got a tasty tickler of a vintage Les Paul. You've heard him in the Kentucky Headhunters. He's a powerful soul and a good buddy. Greg Martin, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are once again, another edition of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Greg Hawk, and really looking forward to the following conversation with my good buddy, Greg Martin. You know him from the Kentucky Headhunters, guitar player of majestic qualities, and just an all-around great dude, and uh, you're down in Kentucky right now. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing well, Greg. Brother Gregory, I'm doing well. I'm I'm here in South Central Kentucky, and I'm. Uh, it's a very private place. Yes, no one knows about it. It's the psychedelic outhouse. I do like the look of it. It bears a strong resemblance to the Orange Room. I think that we not only do we have uh, first names in common, but also a sense of decorating style. Well, this summer, none of us had a whole lot to do. I, I think you stayed very busy because you're very savvy on the internet and uh, social media. Uh, I'm I'm just kind of having to learn this stuff again, you know. And uh, uh, my basement had become an abyss; it had become a just a piled up mess. And um, so we went. The garage was full of junk, and my music room was full of junk. The den you couldn't even get down here, and uh, we cleaned the place up. And this tapestry was had it was still new and i said well let's just hang it up back here and i didn't know i'd use it for this but it actually works so you know it looks magnificent this is this is kind of the area where i uh when i do the little licks from the outhouse thing uh there's a there's a marshall 100 watt out in the garage right right <laughs> and i can hit this and so you get the natural reverb you know and all that stuff but uh this is kind of a different thing so um, well, but things I, are going well. Things are going well. I, Thank you. I, I would like to remind people uh, <laughs> that the licks from the outhouse are a, a glorious thing to behold. I, I always <laughs> enjoy when it comes on my feed because it's just you sitting down with one of your glorious instruments and you've got that Marshall cranked out in the garage. And yeah. I assume you're just doing it on your phone or whatever, right? Just on the phone. Yeah. And it sounds juicy and succulent. Two words I like to say, but I mean... Well, it, it gets that Fillmore East sound. You know, you're getting the ambience out, out in the garage. And there's a door. You know, they go, well, how, how can you be playing a 100-watt Marshall? You know, well, it's, I say, it's not next to me. I couldn't right. do that. I can't even stand in front of a 100-watt Marshall anymore. I've got right. ear, I got I got crickets in my ears now because of that stuff. You know? <laughs> and uh, I got a whistler. I got a whistler in my left one. Oh, do you have that stuff going on? Yeah, a little bit in my left ear, but you know, I just, I just, uh, uh, I like to call it a friend. Keeps me, keeps me company. Doesn't really bother. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets a little crazy, but I've got a door between me. I say, hey, I, that's my master volume, you know. And right. some reason it comes through the door, it kind of muffles out to a nice, and it, it, it takes the edge off of it. 
I usually just sit down on the steps over here. There's some steps next to me. But I think now I'll just do it from right here, you know. So, <laughs> so now that Well, I'm I'll tell you what, the uh, <laughs> your tone has always been magnifico, but you Thank you. You're someone that you know discovered the majesty of of coupling a Les Paul or a Strat or the Telecaster with an old Marshall, where you just you just crank that damn thing up. You use the volume controls on the instrument, and you know if you're in situations where you can do that, it's it's truly the most organic, glorious roots rig that's ever been, and probably ever will be. Am I right? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I have to be very careful with the headhunters. Um, I do. I take. The, I have a 1974 hundred watt out there with two power tubes pulled. Yeah, okay. I used to do that too. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just adjust the ohms back to eight instead of sixteen. I have a 412 turn sideways, and right. the guys and the crew have constructed a little barrier. And there's a, another barrier on the back that keeps from killing Fred with the low end. But I don't know, man. I went through, and I love pedals. I've got a lot of pedals. <laughs> I do. I do. I understand. And people don't think, you know, that, that, that I don't like pedals. I, you you actually are really good at it, you know. I mean, besides, you could just sit down and play into a champ, and you're going to sound great anyway because you got lots of chops, and, you know, you've worked at it. I've laid around Kentucky here on a front porch, you know, just just watching cows go by. You know? <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I like livestock. Livestock is <laughs> all part of the equation. <laughs> you know, hey, I, I like to. I, I, I will. I will send this to a, uh, down a rabbit trail too bad. But I, first time I met Ted Nugent, he was at the Dallas Guitar Show, and his road manager said, "Hey, this is Greg Martin with the Kentucky Hammers." He looks at me and goes. I like agriculture. I'm like, well, thank you, Ted. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but he had that look in his eye, like a gleam, you know? Yes. <laughs> you he know, was so excited oh, to hey, tell thanks, you about Ted. That. <laughs> thanks, Ted. But anyway. His adoration of farm animals was manifest. Yeah, yeah right, right. He loves, he, loves, he loves animals. He likes to roast them, you know? But hey, but seriously, <laughs> I know I'm going all over the place. Now I'll do that. You'll have to go. Come back here, Greg. Uh, That's all right. Uh, I do love. I just like. I really do. I started to work. I went all through the '70s chasing that sound, like everybody does. And I went through every pedal they made back then. A lot of MXR, a lot of Electro Harmonix. I'm talking about the '70s. A lot of different. Sure. I think they had an ADA. I think it's the company did the uh, flanger. I went through all kind of stuff, and uh, it it wasn't until I just plugged straight into a a Marshall that I went, oh, well, that's kind of what I'm looking for. But right. there, it has its downsides because it's loud. It's very oh yeah, very yeah. loud. But you have to control it, you know. But I've got little champ amps, little tweed champs, uh, blackface champs, and they all sound really good when you turn them up. But you just right. gotta. Be be careful, but pedals are beautiful too. I've, you know, I, I'm always welcome to try pedals. You know, <laughs> I like I like I like them a lot. Yeah, they're fun, and they do accumulate. I suppose when you went to your basement, I know my basement is a pedal sanctuary. There's yeah. times where friends of mine will come over and they'll go down in the basement. And they're like, "You got to be kidding me!" <laughs> oh, I like, can't imagine. I can't imagine your basement. I can't imagine. Uh, 
I'd say you've got how many amps you figure you got. Well, you know what? That that has been something I've 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 um, called. So I don't have a ton of amps anymore. Okay. I, you know, I go through phases. Yeah. Uh, where I'll get rid of a bunch of stuff and then, you know, it'll start to creep back. Same with the guitars. Uh, but the pedals, you know, they'll come and then, you know, there's there's some times where I'll be like, man, I'll hear something at a show. You know what I mean? Like, oh, man, this is a crazy new, you know, rotating speaker type of pedal. Oh, that's cool. I'll get that. And then there's some times where I'll never take it out of the box and I'll see it like years later. I mean, like, what the hell is this? Thing? Oh, that's right. It's that thing. Well, I should try that. And then, I, and then I'll bring it upstairs like, oh, I don't have the right power supply back in the basement to go. <laughs> oh, see, that's the problem. I'm, I'm so, I'm so antiquated, man. I, I, I have a, <laughs> I play at church on Sundays and I've got a pedal board sitting there and all I ever said on it is a tuner. <laughs> I've got a little Marshall, I've got a little 20 watt Marshall head next to me and I've got a little 212 back in the, uh, the baptism room, kind of where they go back there, and I got the right, door right. shut, and they got a mic on it. I go, bam! I can hit that, you know. But, <laughs> but the guy, our, our worship leader, he's been trying to help me on the pedal thing. I need a pedal board. I need a small pedal board uh, with the. I like a, with the headhunters with that Marshall. I, I guess my ears are getting shot. Maybe the high end's going away a little bit, you know. Uh, I would like something that would just boost the get a little bit more grit, I guess, you know, but a little right, more, right. maybe, I, I don't know, but uh, I'm trying different things all the time. just trying to figure it out. You know what? I'm going to send, I'm going to send you one of my gristle King pedals. I, well, I love it. I love it. I'll do your that. video. Yeah. It's a, it's a clean boost and an overdrive and you can put the overdrive either before or after uh, the clean boost. And oh. The clean boost just makes the world a better place. But in the overdrive is gets it sounds really good at low volumes as well as higher volumes. So it sounds just with a great, you know, if you set the amp clean and hit it, it sounds great. But these are, you know, it's it's always something with with uh with gear. I mean, I've got my, you know, my signature amp I did, and I love that thing, and I play yes. that I play that every time. Sure. If I have it with me, I'm playing it. But sure. there are times where I travel someplace and I have no idea you know, what amps are going to be provided. Usually it's something Fendery. So I'll get, you know, like a super reverb or yeah. a, a reissue twin or whatever. And then I'll just pop my little Gristle King in front of it. And then I got a little clean boost so I can do like clean exactly. leads with maybe just a little bit of, you know, it's compressing the tubes a little bit and then hit that overdrive on top of it. And then it just sounds like the end. Oh of yeah. Game. You get a great tone. I mean, I, oh, I told you years ago, you were, you and your, I guess it was you and your son were doing the, the Jimi Hendrix thing. Oh, was it yeah, power yeah. love? Was it power yeah, love? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. You, you know how to use pedals. But there again, you are a guy that can go either way. You can, you know, you, you can play with it, with or without. I just got to get a better grip, you know. But I'd love to try your pedal. I would. Yeah, absolutely. We'll set you up. I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The only pedal I'm really good at is the gas pedal in the van. That's about well, it. Well, there you go. <laughs> There you go. I got a wah, I got a few wah-wahs. I like wah-wahs, man. Country yeah, that's wah-wah. A good one. Yeah. We know something you said earlier was interesting when you talked about the 100 watt uh <laughs> Marshalls with the two tubes out because that's just I mean, you know, I went through my phase where I I recorded with a with a Marshall. I'm just like, why would you ever record with anything else? And then of course, something else comes along and you you record with something else. But um 
I remember the 100 watts to me always sounded better than 50 watts. And then even when you took the two tubes out and they were 50 watts, they still sounded better for some reason. Do you find that as well? Why is that? That's very true. It's a transformer. It got bigger transformer, more headroom. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, like I did a project called Rufus Huff. I'm not sure if you ever heard that or not. I have to send you a copy if I can find one. And uh, during that project, I was using a 100 watt, a 1969 100 watt. It had two, two, two tubes pulled, and I would use a little Plexi 50 watt with it. So it was covering two different things. Right. And even the engineer, you know, he said, well, yeah, it's really cool because uh, there's a little more urgency. I can't, I, whatever, I can't remember the term he used, but there was a little bit more. I, I, the 50 watt is going to break up sooner, but it's right. not big. Exactly. But I do find that the, man, there's just, you know, rock and roll, the 60s rock that we grew up on, Cream, Henry, <laughs> Free, um, I guess Jeff Beck group, I would assume. Uh, right. I, I'll use several different things. Man, it was uh, it was created on those big 100-watt stacks, you know. Right. Of course, they were using all four tubes. But right. it works it works, it works. works fine with two tubes out. It still sounds big. And I did a project about a, two years ago, uh, and uh, I was listening back to it. I used a 50-watt on overdubs. And I thought, man, I wish I'd use my 100-watt because it's a little more rounder. A little more rounder sounding. Right. Oh, my cat, he's right here. I hope he don't, he is huge. <laughs> I hope he don't knock his tripod over. My, my cats usually come in and harass me too. Uh, one sitting right over here looking at me. Yeah. Sam, my, my cat's named Boodlo after Boodlo Bryant, the songwriter. <laughs> that wrote Bye Bye Love and all that stuff. Nice. Now, buddy, don't knock the, come on, let's go. I should open the garage door. He'll go out. <laughs> but anyway, no, I love 100 watts. I got several 100 watts, uh, not as many as I did, but I've got a 67 that oh. owned to, I don't know the guy's name, but he worked for Eddie Van Halen. It's a 67 100 watt. It was in Eddie's studio for a long time, and they said Eddie used it a little bit. And then I've got a 68. Um, I got those two Plexi 100 watters. Then I've got uh, two 69s. But, but the 69, I really love. Um, it belonged to a fella in Louisville by the name of Mark Maselli. He was in a band called Elysian Field. And it was supposedly the first Marshall that was uh, sold in Kentucky, uh, supposedly, oh. anyway. And I love it, Head. I, I do. I, I love it. And it's the one out in the garage right now. So when you go out with the headhunters mm -hmm. and you've got that road case with the Marshall head, do you, do you take a couple of them along? And and what's the reliability like with these with these old rascals? Well, back in the seventies, I blew them all the time, and I mean they just seemed to magically go, you know. Right. Uh, and that was probably because I had no idea what I was doing. I was mismatching cabinets. I'd plug a a Marshall head into a, a fender cabinet or whatever, but. I actually, actually, I, I this seventy four that I use has been really good, man. I've had it out there ten years. The only problem I had with that is our guitar tech one time plugged it in and was doing sound check with the speaker unplugged, and it blew up. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. but no, uh, no. Most generally, they they do good. I've got the um, the seventies I use all the time out there, and I've got a sixty nine purple head. Now it's it's a retro cabinet. Uh, when I bought it, somebody had 
put it in a, a purple cabinet, but it's a, it's an original 69 head. It's a spare. And I haven't had to go to that maybe once, maybe. Oh, awesome. Yeah. 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 I've been lucky. I've been lucky on that. They, they seem to, but you know, I'm very lucky in a way because our sound man is a amp tech. He, he's really good. He created a thing called the bias King. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. Steve oh. Wilson. Yeah. Steve Wilson. He works on my amps and uh, he's really good. I was, as a matter of fact, we were together yesterday. He's working on a super reverb for me, but he, he was actually Stevie Ray's amp tech at the very end after Cesar Diaz. Okay. And so we, so we have an amp go down. Steve can fix it usually, you know, or figure out what's going on. So, yeah, my marshals have been fine. But, now, do but, you get crazy with speakers as far as trying different things, or you just use the old Celestians and be done with it? Uh, I I keep the old cabinets stock. They're you know twenty five and thirty watt Celestians. On the road, uh, I've got a Mojo four twelve cabinet, which is really very robust cabinet, really nice, and it's got it's got eminence in it. Got eminence okay. speakers. I like I like the uh, eminence speakers. Cat. <laughs> he yeah. cat. He's under he's hilarious. He's under a rug right now. I think he's tripping. <laughs> <laughs> he's cat I, I wish you guys could see this. He is hilarious. Um <laughs> but anyway, um what, what was I even saying now? This cat is done throwing me off my track. That's all right. We're just talking about speaker cabinets and that kind oh, of yeah, stuff. Oh yeah, eminent speakers. They're legend. I think they're legend 30s. I really like them. And um we have a good relationship with eminent speakers, you know, and right. that's what I use on the road. But I've got, I've got several old Marshall cabinets, way more than I need. You know, basket weaves, and I've got uh, some early 70s uh, uh, checker fronts with, with the steel handles, you know. And they, they've got the 30 watts. And I think I've even got one cabinet's even earlier with like a 20-watt speaker, maybe, you know. I was getting this stuff when you, you know, there was a time in the 80s and early 90s, everybody wanted Mesa boogies and things like that. And they were just throwing the marshals away. I'd go to a guitar emporium in Louisville and uh, you'd walk in on a Wednesday and there'd be a pile of used gear and there'd be little marshals and cabinets and stuff. And I would just grab stuff. Of course, I've accumulated way too many now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an old man. I can't, you know, I, mean, I need to be just carrying a, a champ amp around, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> Pig nose, maybe. Well, prior to the COVID hitting, um, mm-hmm. what was the average year like for you with the headhunters? How many, how many year, uh, how many nights of the year were you reckon you were on the road? Well, we don't work like we used to. A comfortable year for us was really about 75 days, something okay. like that. I want to say 60 to 75 dates. And last year, going into it, it was going to be a really good year. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that's the same story with everybody. We played the Birchmere in Virginia. And it was mid-February. And it was a great show, man. I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be a fun year, you know. And uh, we had three weeks off. I think we were going to reconvene in March. And I thought, okay, we've got three weeks off. Then we start hearing about this virus. You know? And um, <laughs> magically, the dates start disappearing, getting moved over to this year. 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was a time we did a lot more shows, but we never were a 300. I hear these guys that play right. 300 shows a year. I, I never was in a band like that. We used right. to do maybe over in the hundred or hundreds right. or whatever. Uh, when I played in Nashville before the Headhunters, I, I, I played with a country artist and we were gone a lot more, actually. Right. You know, so. Well, there was a time where you relocated, right, down to Nashville? You know, I never actually moved to Nashville. Um, I grew up in Louisville. Okay. And Well, I was born in Louisville, but I spent a lot of time in this area right here. That's how I met Richard and Fred. But after graduation in the early 70s, I moved back to Louisville. Then I came back here to start playing with Richard and Fred again. I took a gig with Ronnie McDowell, who was kind of a rockabilly country singer. Uh, I started with him in 1981. I I pretty much stayed in Glasgow all along. Of course, I had to, a lot of times I would have to go down on business. If we were doing Nashville now or recording or whatever, I'd have to spend a week down there. But never, I never did relocate. You know, oh, never did. Re- I love the town. Now, driving in that town now is a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's, a it's little... got this really changed. Yeah. But I worked out of Nashville a lot of years from 81 to 89, and the Headhunters were, uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, the Headhunters was put together in 86 just as a fun thing to play around when I was off from Ronnie, and uh, it just kind of morphed into another career, really. It was a blessing, you know, and we signed our deal in 89, and that took off, and off we were gone again, you know. So, well, I remember it well because my uh, was in a little power trio at the time, uh-huh. and uh, a bass player had a great voice. He was from he was from Texas way, but he married a Wisconsin gal, and he moved up here. And we had this this trio, and we did a bunch of our own tunes. But we did uh, uh, "Walk Softly," your version of that, yeah. and we did Dumas Walker, and yeah, we were we were into it. And um, I was yeah, it was it was just so refreshing because. You know, country then was what it was, and then right. you guys come along and add all of the the gritty uh, morsels of the rock of our youth in there as well. And it was exactly. just, it was a glorious thing. And, and then I remember seeing you guys um, at Summerfest at some point, like maybe 90, somewhere in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. And uh, here in Milwaukee, and yeah. it rocked Thanks. with the intensity of a thousand suns. I mean, it's just a, it you know, as as much as people might think it's a, a more of a country band if they're not mm-hmm. initiated, it, it is a rock and roll extravaganza. And then when I when I visited you in, in Glasgow on our way back from Nashville that one year, now it's been quite yeah. a few years ago already, but you laid that uh, live record on me, and we listened to that thing all the way home, and that thing rocks i mean the band is fantastic and your tone is always great and it's the vib- the vibrato which is something you know that i've it's the thing i've worked on the hardest over the years to just well, make you, sure you, it's you have a good vibrato and as a matter of fact i watched a video one day of you showing how to do the eric clapton vibrato because i can't really do the free form how you do it or i mean you do it two or three different ways but you've actually learned how to do that and i wish i could do what how, well, go ahead, and then we'll, we'll touch on all that. I'm, I'm jumping. I, I get excited. That's all right. No, it's all good. These, all right. are, these are very unscripted and extemporaneous chats, so wherever the wind takes us, we should go. But I was just going to say, <laughs> I love it. you know, the, the, uh, 
I mean, when I hear someone like yourself do a vibrato, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's it's just so, it, like with Clapton and, and Hendrix mm -hmm. and, of course, B.B. Mm -hmm. King and Albert King and, and uh, mm -hmm. Otis Rush and Peter Green. All these guys, they have this vibrato and it's it's like one of the different shades of different vibratos but you're in that camp as well when you do a vibrato you you've got this thing where it's influenced by the greats but you have your own spin on it but it's one of those things where it just makes you curl your toes and you hear it and that's what i look for thank you uh not not to be like oh kids these days or whatever because i it's totally not that i'm 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 cool with all the chops in the world that's all great because sure. that's a different thing but for me it's 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 the vibrato that someone does that really indicates to me that they're they're in touch with that thing that made that music great. You know what I mean? Well, we were breathing the same air these other guys were, you know, right. kind of, it's it's weird. Um I'll tell you what really there was a couple of guitar players that really just knocked me on my rear end. Back in 67, I was living in Midcalf County. We lived in out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, back then to get music, you were lucky. You you might go to the Rexall and they might get an album in. You know they they had a few albums, and the uh, AM radio around here was more top forty. But there was a station out of Chicago. There was two stations I listened to quite a bit: WCFL and WLS. But one night, I, I think it was on WCFL, I heard Cream's Sunshine of Your Love. And I heard that vibrato. Right. You know, and of course, the woman tone. And I went, I went, wow, I love that. I love that. And, it, it, and that sent me on the quest to try to develop a vibrato. And actually, Greg, what I was doing back then to get the station clear i would i would go buy car radios tube radios i'd hook them up in the house with a power transformer uh power supply and i put an antenna outside and i could get stations a lot better but there was a show out of chicago uh ron Britton. he just passed away he was a friend of mine uh, it was a subterranean circus and i hear cream on there and i also michael bloomfield had a big oh album. yes i love michael bloomfield yeah. And then, you know, there's other guys that come along. Of course, I discovered B.B. King in 68 through my brother. When he went into Bluegrass, he gave me his record collection. And lo and behold, there was a B.B. King record, uh, Waiting on Tartar Waiting. And and I, when I heard that, I'm going, uh, that's where Clapton's coming from. I kind of figured right. that. And Nightlife was on the other side. But the vibrato, as you say, I, I agree with you 100%. It's, uh, it's your... Um, calling card almost right you know and another thing is a calling card you know i've always viewed i'm not a i'd love to be able to, to shred more you know but uh i kind of look at the spaces between your phrases it's almost like writing a letter you know right it, you know you get i think your solo should have pretty good punctuation you know, right. you know a little space that's the reason i never could play bluegrass do you play bluegrass uh, not officially. <laughs> and then guys can just and just just keep going and going. I mean, Tony Rice and right, 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 Clarence White, and, and these new guys that are coming out that they could just play forever. I never could do that. I have to play a phrase. I have to kind of pull back. But that there again, I think it's kind of important when you're 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 
constructing a solo because you want to say something, you know, right. just like write a letter. Exactly. And your vibrato is a very important part of that. Of course, your tone, um, that, I think it's a, a thing. We all have our own tone and it does develop when you're, you're younger, you know, you're, you're searching and you're searching, but it finally, I think it just finally appears one day. And that's just the way you sound, you know, right. You know, whether you're playing a, of course, if you're playing a Telly or Strat or Les Paul or 335, you're going to have variances, but right. most generally, I mean, I can hear, you know, this, you can hear Santana, you can hear uh, Clapton. We know who he is. You know, we right. know one one or two notes. You know, right. So the vibrato, yeah, I believe Leslie West. He was another yeah. one. Yeah, Leslie West, man. <laughs> Golly, I, you know, I, I can place there's certain defining moments. So I'm pulling into a little country church in Cedar Flats, Kentucky, in 1969. And I'm listening to a little AM radio station out of Louisville that morning, uh, WKLO. And all of a sudden I hear, da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> so I was late for Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mount, mountain climbing, man. That was a big defining moment. Our, our Mississippi queen was a big defining moment here and that. And uh, I loved Leslie West. I love Leslie yeah. West a lot. Uh, got to, hey, one of, the, one of the cool things that happened years ago around 1980 uh one of the pre-headhunter bands being richard and fred uh we're opening up for leslie west in, in, in uh, murfreesboro tennessee and um i had a yamaha g100 amp i remember you, you i remember those, those? yep I yeah they, they were like the uh solid state mesa boogie i guess but they sounded those. good they they did they didn't sound bad. i had two of them and I think I was running stereos. Well, not really stereo. I was running an analog delay. And uh, but anyway, the guitar player for Leslie comes up to me. He had a rhythm player. He said, uh, "Leslie wants to borrow your amp." I thought, "Oh wow, he must like what I really what I was doing or something," you know. And uh, well, basically, what had happened? He had had a hemorrhoid operation. He wanted to sit on it. <laughs> <laughs> he turned it up sideways and he sat on it the whole night. He had a he had a big crate stack and he just dived it out and, and he sat on my amp the whole night. You know? <laughs> I thought, oh man. Oh well. Anyway, that was my brush with Leslie West. But he called uh Corky Lane called one time because we got I got to know Corky uh, from working uh, on a Men Without Hats project with he was uh, working with Polygram Records. And he called me one night to tell you, hey, me and Leslie's going to be on TV. Leslie gets on the phone and says, oh, yeah, I love you guys. Y'all ugly. <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, no, you're the good looking one. I said, I said, no, it's too late now. I know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> I love Leslie. God bless him, man. God bless him. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristletone pickup set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were going down the, the, really the cream rabbit hole is, is where <laughs> the... Uh, well, hey. I, I still, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I go online at night and, you know, as I'm going to bed and I'll put the earphones on and 
and people have been uploading these bootlegs and, and there's, you know, and the audio quality is of varying degrees of yeah, horrible, right. but now there, there's software that people can take these old, uh, you know, original source things that sound kind of whack and then mess with them in the computer and they actually sound halfway deep. You can hear what's going on. And, and I'll hear these cream things. And there's times when Clapton, he goes for this, it's just this celestial stuff that's even better than the recorded stuff. And then of course there's other stuff that gets a little, little out there, but you know, it was, um, it was a crazy time when those three, those three gentlemen were marauding around it's the amazing. world. It's amazing. It's uh, amazing. The grand ballroom. That's yep, one. That's of a good one. Them. Clapton yep. goes out there on a tangent, man, with his vibrato bar. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I've heard that. Yeah. I think Jim McCarty, Jim McCarty t- uh, from Cactus, Detroit Wheels said he recorded that. He's the one that recorded that. He showed oh, up. He showed up at the gig with a, a real to real, and they let him take the show. And uh, oh no, I'm same way, man. I, Cream Live is a it's majestic. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that's the word. Uh, I love the Wheels of Fire version of Spoonful. Yes, man, they just play so beautiful on that. That is just the epitome of three-piece to me and I mean, we, you know we got other bands like early ZZ Top well they're all Gibbons right. are still great he's right. still great and they all are but uh, but man, there's just something about that early cream and then last year uh, did you get the goodbye box set I did <laughs> yep <laughs> I mean there's moments on that I mean you could there's they never played the same you know right they, it, it was a it was a jazz mentality, you know. They, they were out there searching. I love it, right. and that's a beautiful thing, you know. They were some night they maybe missed the mark a little bit, but that tone, that tone, right. flat to the head, and that vibrato. Well, uh, and what's interesting is is that uh, you know it changed throughout ever so slightly, but like there's some new stuff that's been uh, posted. Well, only new because it's new to the internet, but there's live stuff from from 66 when he was still using the Les Paul, still had more of the yeah. blues breakery tone, you know? Yes. And and he was a lot more um kind of aggressive, you know? Yes. And then and then came that middle in the early 68 period where he was playing the fool, you know, SG, and and that's you know, that tone was was great. And then there's the goodbye cream stuff, which it's interesting because everyone thinks he was playing at 335, but he was probably playing that Firebird for most of that tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah he used that uh, Firebird 1 quite a bit. I yeah. think he deviated between the Firebird 1 and maybe the SG a little bit. Uh, and there's pictures right. of him playing another verse, too. But, uh, right. hey, I agree with you. The, the 1966 bootlegs, I think one of them's called Ricky Tick or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, the Ricky Tick, and then they put it on the same thing as a. They did a show in Rotterdam around the same time. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the version of uh, stepping stepping out is just amazing. Yes, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. I love I love Cream, man. I uh, I love the three piece mentality, and uh, you do too. You, you're you do a lot of that. As a matter of fact, I just love it because uh, I love playing a two guitar band too, like the Headhunters, because it's. A lesson in restraint, and you're, you're. Hopefully, we're always playing for the song, right? But with, with the three piece thing, and even our old bass player Anthony Kenny, who is an amazing bass player, uh, in a three piece situation, 
you know, it's, it's, you can actually, it's easier to jam, you know, right now the almond brothers could do it. Of course, right. you know, they could do it, but man, that, that cream stuff, I get excited, man. I, I want to run around the room here and shout. Right. <laughs> I love well, it. It's one of those things where it's like, I describe it to folks as, and I know, you know what I'm talking about. It's like Clapton had a, a, a relatively, mm-hmm. um, you know, not a huge vocabulary, but he said something new with it all the time, and you always wanted to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it changed, you know, and people are, you know, I'm not going to, you know, Clapton's a great artist, and he's developed over the years and done all kinds of different phases. But as a guitar player, as someone who was still kind of searching and finding his voice and still, like, being driven, um, it really kind of ended in terms of that kind of primal quest, probably with Derek and the Dominoes. You know, after that, he became mm-hmm. more of a song-oriented guy and still played great, and it's different points. I mean, that yeah. the blues thing he did in the 90s was great, and he's still, mm-hmm. you know, he's still magnificent, mm-hmm. but it's it's not the same. Yeah, to me, I get the feeling that if 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 Clapton, a creamier, that was kind of one of the things I took as, as my my mission for my own quest was to take all of that was, was great about what I felt from Clapton's playing in cream as well as Hendrix and so on and so forth. And maybe just did my own thing with it and tried to kick it a little bit, you know, adding a few more different elements in mm-hmm. from like jazz and country mm-hmm. and whatnot and mm-hmm. funk and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And you just wish that, I mean, for me, it's like, I'm, I'm so grateful that we have what we have from Clapton because he's got this majestic career. It was yes. like, Oh my God, can you imagine if he would have just, you know, maybe kick the can down the field just a little bit more with that tone and that vibrato. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and that's 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 my own. It's not really a critique. I you know, it's just an observation. You know right. what I mean? Right. Yeah. I, I I wasn't aware of John Mayall and the Blues Breakers till later. Um, for some reason in this area we didn't hit. At least over in Midcalf County, we did we didn't get hip to that till later, and. Of course, he was he was starting a, a revolution at that point too, as we find right. out, you know. And then, when, uh, but yeah, I wish Cream if it went on a little bit longer. But I think they were just burnt out. They were they were right. overworked. Um, Jack and Ginger had their problems. Um, I, it, it's a shame it didn't go longer. It really is because it, it was just such a beautiful thing. Uh, it, it, all the elements that you said. Of course, what we do. We grew up listening to several things. I mean, you know, you talked about your your influences of different jazz, and you got country influences and R and B and all that stuff. You know, what we do, we we take that stuff and then we add our make our own little burgoo. You know, right? So, exactly. You know, our own burgoo, like Delicious. have a little country burgoo of sorts. You know, yes. But man, I one of the first songs that uh, the Headhunters, me and Richard Friend, at least played together. Was we attempted crossroads when we were kids, you know? Right. All that. So it's a cream's a big. I, we could talk about cream forever, you know. Uh, have you ever met Clapton? You know, I, I we played at the first Crossroads Guitar Festival in Dallas, oh, wow. and uh, we played on the Saturday. It was a two day. It was like a three day event, right? Yeah. So. We played, and, and I don't know if he heard us play. I know Billy Preston was on p- stage, and we were playing, and so on and so forth. So I didn't really get the, f- I didn't really know whether he knew who I was or or didn't. So, and I really am uncomfortable with meeting people like that sure. as a fan. I would, I'd rather just be like, oh, we're musicians. You know what I mean? I. No. So he was walking past me, 
And it was the back of the stage and it was like two bodyguards and he was turning around to say something to somebody. And I would have had to have tapped him on the shoulder and I just couldn't do it. I thought, you know what, if he's a knob or if this is awkward, it's going to ruin a lot of stuff for me. So I'd rather just not. (laughs) Well, I've never, I've never had a conversation with him or been, there was one time I probably could have. And, and I was just, uh, same thing. I just didn't want to jump up and 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 do the wrong thing. It was at the Grammys, oh gosh, 92 in LA. And uh, we were sitting there with it. We were up for a Grammy that year. And it was me and Richard and Fred, I, I guess Anthony and Mark were there at the time, but our, our PR girl was sitting with us. Said, oh, Greg, here comes Eric Clapton. And I said, yeah, right. And I look around and he was walking right next to me down the aisle. And I, I kind of make, I utter a noise and he looks at me and, and gives me a nod and I couldn't do anything. Right. That was, it. That was my only rush with Clapton, really. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to meet him, but you know, I'm like you, unless it's um, organic and it's meant to be and it's fate, you don't want to force it. Right. You know? exactly. I mean, I, we love him. Obviously we love Eric Clapton. If he's watching us hire it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, you know, we would I, probably. Actually, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Actually, even you know, I was a, you know Derek McDominoes. I didn't really understand that at first, uh, and I didn't really understand his solo thing at first. But but you know, he, I got to know Delaney Bramlett pretty good, which gave me an insight. I mean, Eric, I I, I just think they worked themselves to death, and once he heard the band, right. I think that changed his whole perspective. And and uh, I think at that point he wanted to sing and get more into the song. And Right. But then, I, hey, now I love every aspect of his career. I'm, I'm, I'm very appreciative, Eric, you know. Right. Same so, here. I, I buy everything. Yep, yep. <laughs> I have. I've got it. I, I'll show you one of these days. I'll take a picture of my room in here. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. we would probably be um, – we, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about your glorious 58 Les Paul and – and uh, Hank. Hank. Oh, there we go. You're, you're talking about Hank here. Oh, there it is. There's Hank. Oh, what a, what a I, I'm not going to play any, folks, but there you go. There it is. <laughs> yeah, there's a little there's a little Vox AC-15 in the, in the one room, and then there's a Marshall over here. But that's Hank. I've been, I'm having to work on Hank because the Headhunters are going in the studio next week, and uh, we're going to start a new CD. So Hank's going to be nice. a big part of that, you know. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll just I'll just have him on. Is that I okay? like it. It's perfect. It's Is perfect. It right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Now you um, that was from Hank Williams Jr. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah sure was. Um, it originally we don't know exactly the story, but uh, Ed King had it first. Okay. Ed King acquired it in a trade, and we're thinking it belonged to a gospel group originally out of Ohio. Because on the original case, which is in the other room, it's got a king's crown, which kind of signifies Jesus. And um, Ed took it in on trade, but he had just gotten red eye. And he didn't okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is very famous. Which Jason, Jason Isbell has now, right? Absolutely. He's got it now. And uh, that's a beautiful guitar. Um, I guess what happened is Ed, once he got this guitar, or he got red eye, he decided he didn't need this one anymore. And uh, 
he took it to George Gruen's to sell it. There's a picture. I've got somebody sent me a picture. Uh, there's a picture of this in the case at George Gruen's next to a, a left-handed Les Paul, supposedly that Paul McCartney got. Ah. Huh? And yeah, it, it's crazy. Um, so I first saw this guitar when I was Ronnie McDowell. We were playing in Jackson, Mississippi one night. We were playing outside the Coliseum, another stage, and Hank was the big show inside. And while we were playing, this guy had long hair, was watching us, and he said, he walked up to me afterwards and said, hey, man, talking to me and Doug, he said, I really like what you guys are doing. Would you guys want to come over and watch? Uh, I work for Hank Jr. I'm his guitar tech. His name is Bud Phillips. And uh, he said, would you like to come over to the side of the stage and watch? And we said, yeah, we got done. And he gave us passes, and we were watching on the side of the stage. And that was my saw this guitar. Um, I think Animal Turner was playing it, but there was another fellow out there with him. I'm not sure who it was. He, he was playing the guitar. So I saw the guitar, and I went, okay, that's great. Hank's got a, they've got a 58 Les Paul, you know, cool. And that was probably around 1988. So we signed our record deal in the summer of 1989. We, we had the headhunters going. We signed with Mercury. And then by 19, you know, and, and thank God that uh, Walk Softly and Dumas Walker had some success in the charts. Hank Jr. wanted us to open up shows with him. So we went on the road in the spring of 1990 with Hank. And um, this guitar was out there. And of course, they, they they were so nice. The band, the crew, Hank, and Bud Phillips. You know, lo and behold, Bud was still with him. And in the spring of '90, we were going to be shooting a video for Owens and Me. And um, I asked Bud, you th said, "Would you think Hank would let me borrow the '58 Les Paul?" That's pretty bold if you think about it. You know? <laughs> Can I borrow that guitar? <laughs> and um, he said, I'll ask Hank, and Hank was cool with it. So we we there was a break in the tour where we were going to be off from him for like a few weeks, and we were going to shoot the video uh, over in Arkansas, Missouri for that. So I took the guitar. Um, and then one, one night, I just happened to plug it in, a 50-watt marsh. I was using a little 50 watts back then, and it just spoke to me. I went, oh, God. Right. <laughs> I said, this is this, it just had a, uh, you know, some of the newer Les Pauls, not all of them, they got a little bit more high end. This is mellowed out a lot. It's got really it. mellowed out. And, um, and, and uh, man, somehow they allowed me to just keep it out on the road forever. And then we were doing Hank's birthday party at the Starwood in Nashville. And uh, I said, well, I got to, I got to take his guitar back to me. I got to take it back to him. So me and my manager went up on the bus and Hank was up there and I can't remember who was up there. And a fellow named Dewey, he was there. And uh, Hank was having a big old time <laughs> celebrating <laughs> his birthday. And I said, man, I'm bringing your guitar back. I love this guitar, this and that. More or less, he said, keep it. That was it. And I, he just pretty much gave it to me. And my manager, our manager was there. And then Dewey even said, yeah. I said, he said, yeah, Greg, you even come back up 
a second time and said, do you really mean that? Right. <laughs> you know, and I ended up giving Hank a six string bass, a Fender six string bass and a, and a Stratocaster as just a memento to say, you know, and he, he actually used the Stratocaster on a video one time, but it, it was a gift from Hank Jr. Really. And awesome. It's with me to this day. And of course, Gibson did a, as you know, they did a, yes. a run of the CC 15. I love that guitar. And I, unfortunately, the only reason why I got rid of it is because I, I, I had an opportunity to get that 53 tally and I, and I had to sell I it. Totally, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. Um, 50, that 53, I love it. Well, you and that 53 tally. Yeah, no, man, that's, that's, that's your, that's your is that your favorite guitar? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Well, you know, I, it's, you know, I've got my signature reverence now and that's what I use as my, that's like my tweaked, um, uh, like professional guitar. And so I don't record with, I tour with those because they've, they're, they're specced out to the nines, everything I need to do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. But, but as far as, and, and the micro, the, the pickups on the 53 are really microphonic. So it's, it's limited of what I can do with it, but I, I just adore it. You know what I mean? But it's sitting around the house. I'm play, I do take it on the road with me and I'll, I'll play it a couple tunes a night. You know, but if I get too, you know, I, I have to be just right or else it'll start, it'll start whistling. Sure, and, sure. I don't, and I don't want to, I don't want to mess with the pickups. You know what I mean? Because I like the way they sound. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I've had two 53s. They're, <laughs> I actually had one up to about uh, three years ago, but it was, um, it was, so, the neck was pretty, it, it, I don't know. I, I, I didn't connect with it. And I had another one back in the, the 90s. And I've had, a 59 Rosewood neck had a 57. Oh gosh. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. Can you see me? Okay. Uh, I can't see you. We can hear you. There you okay, go. My, oh yeah. There you go. There you go. Here it is. It says my, uh, says my battery's getting low, but I think we're okay. I, I, <laughs> I can't believe it. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Your, yours is man. Uh, so that's, that's all stock, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, uh, it's a spray over. And there's like a little hole right there that someone did for whatever reason. But other than that, they don't matter. That's that's fine. That's beautiful. That's, yeah. Hey, that's that's a beautiful. I, I I totally understand why you did what you did. Uh, and I've I've had to do that over the years too. I've had to um, sell guitars to do that, you know, and to, to 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 get something. Matter of fact, when I got my '53 Telly, I had to sell a '57 Telly, which really was a great guitar. And uh, it's just what we do. Now, Vince Gill, he don't do that. <laughs> Vince has got about every guitar. Now, he sold a few off, but he he's, he's kept most of his, you know. Crazy. And I'm sure you've met Vince, right? You know Vince. I have never met Vince Gill. Oh, he's great. You'll love it. I've him. seen him You'll play, of course, but I've never uh, uh, love gone Vince. to You'll the love shows him. and so on. Yeah, You'll That's love cool. Vince. Absolutely will. But... Uh, no, man, I'm blessed with this guitar. It's been part of what I what I do, and I'll use it in the studio next week. And uh, but uh, it it doesn't go on the road very much anymore. Only okay. every now and then. I, I'm just I'm afraid, you know. So do you take a do you take one of the collector's choice then with mm -hmm. you? I do, I do. I've got uh, I've got three uh, CC15s, and I've got a Ronnie Montrose. Oh, okay. I got one, and I've got a John Sebastian. So I've kind of rotate guitars. Uh, I've been using the Montrose quite a bit, actually. Yeah, it, it has. It, it feels. It really feels kind of close to this, really, too. So, yeah. I did get it. I oh, right before, right before the New Year, I ended up getting a Wildwood Spec Fifty Eight. 
and uh, yeah, it's a nice one. Oh yeah, they 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 do they do some great guitars. I, man, I go up to that side and I go, wow, <laughs> I can't I can't imagine. When you go out there, it must be like overwhelming. Well, what's what's wild is is that we, you know, of course I haven't been able to go out there for a while, so they've been shipping sure. me guitars here, which is mm -hmm. even more tempting because once they're in the house, <laughs> it takes effort to get to get to get them out of the house. But um, when I go out there, you know, we sit down and it's like I, you know, we do between twenty and twenty five videos a day of these twenty five different guitars. And uh, people will ask, well, do you ever play any that you are thinking about buying? I'm like, yeah, almost every one of them. <laughs> That's yeah. why the videos work oh, yeah. is because the whole time I'm playing, I'm like, you know what? Maybe, maybe this is the one, <laughs> you know, it's always going through my head. Cause no, just man, I, I think it's, Hey, it, it, when that ceases, you know, I, I think it'd be a sad day when, when, when you quit, because we're still on a quest looking for for something even a little more, don't you think? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most, I always, I'm real happy with the Les Pauls that I play, but it's really about the feel. Right. It has to have a a little, a little loose. I don't like them when they're too tight. I've got some guitars. Um, I've got a 345, 64, beautiful guitar. It belonged to Ed King. But it plays really tight. I don't know why some guitars are just a little harder, you know. I may have right. to use a little lighter string on it or something, you know. But, uh, well, you know what's interesting about the old Lesters, uh, which I guess I didn't really know until I started playing with the the, the, the Marshalls, just plugging straight in. Mm -hmm. Because when I prior to that, it was always one of those things where, you know, you're using a guitar and, you know, you use like a tube screamer. So you set the, the fender amp clean-ish. It's maybe it's just starting to overdrive a little mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. And then you hit a tube screamer. And then at that point, if you turn the volume down on the guitar, it gets all muddy unless you do like a resistor cap mod. And it wasn't until, or a treble bleed or whatever people want to call it. Um, it wasn't until I, I started messing around with amps where you just turn them up and then use the volume control on the guitar yeah. that I realized you don't have to do that mod on those old guitars when you're using power amp distortion. That's right. That's and right. that's something that was was new to me. <laughs> that's hillbilly. That's hillbilly master volume, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just turn it back. You know, if you want a clean sound on it, you just turn it back a bit. Uh, you know, even with a Marshall, they'll, they'll clean up really well. You can play country right. or whatever you want to do. You know, but there again, I've got a friend that calls me once a week, and he's infatuated. He's he's a keyboard player, but he loves Marshall amps. He said, "What if BB King played a Marshall?" What if Michael Bloomfield played a Marshall? Uh, I said, well, they would still sound the same, but I love what Michael Bloomfield did into his uh, twin reverbs and super reverbs and B.B. King and his lab amps and his right. uh, twins or whatever he used. You know, uh, I love Fender amps too. I mean, I love a lot of different amps. Sure. You know. Well, I do love the, the Bloomfield tone on uh, the live adventures with Al Cooper. I mean, that's... <laughs> oh, yeah. And now, is that a super or is that a twin? You reckon? I, my guess is it's probably. I, I would think he was probably using two twin reverbs. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I mean, it gets growly. Yeah, on it's, super on super session, I'm pretty sure he was using a, a, a super reverb. I think right. you could actually see it. But uh, Bloomfield was a big uh, fan of the twin reverbs, and uh, Phil Kagi. Do you know Phil at all? I don't know him personally. No. 
Phil's a great guy, and he loves Michael Bloomfield, and he knows a lot about Phil, uh, about Michael. And uh, he actually saw Bloomfield play, and Bloomfield saw him play one time and gave him a great compliment. But uh, it was always, always, and that's what Phil, he was kind of mirroring his same setup of glass harp. He was using two twin reverbs. Got it. I never, I've had twin reverbs, but uh, I probably just didn't know how to use them properly. I always wanted my fenders to sound like Marshalls back in the right. 70s. I didn't understand they're two different animals, you know. Right. But I exactly. love I love what the fender circuit does. I love what the Marshall circuit. I love the box. I love them all. Well, what's interesting when you mentioned about the Les Pauls cleaning up so well through a Marshall, I, I think probably live at the Fillmore is one of the greatest examples of that. I mean, when those, when Dickie Betts turns down and when Dwayne turns down and it gets, of course, they like JBLs. <laughs> Yeah. But regardless, I mean, when they turn down, they get like on when he's doing the rhythm on uh, Liz Reed or whatever the case may be, and it just gets so glassy. And then, of course, he turns the volume up, Dwayne, and it's just it's fuzzy and woolly and glorious. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's yeah. Dwayne and Dickie, they they were, you know, Dickie with his little fifty. Uh, no, Dickie had the hundred water. Right. And and Dwayne with the fifty watt uh, Lexi. Well, I'm using a brown box. You know what that is? <laughs> you know what a brown box is? The brown box? Yeah. Is that the, the universal audio thing? It's a thing. Uh, you can. It's, it's, it's like a uh, variac. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I couldn't find an extension cord, so I've got it hooked up to this. Ah. I, hope, I think we're okay now. Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, we're that's good. Right. Sorry, guys. You can do whatever you want to. You no, can, that's all right. We'll figure it out. Okay. We were just talking a little. We were just talking a little Dwayne and Dicky action. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, that's another quintessential listening album. We should always. <laughs> we should have several copies of that on hand live at right. the Fillmore. Uh, matter of fact, I need to turn you on to this. Our sound man Steve Wilson had a quad copy of it, oh. and somehow. He was able to get the, just the two guitars isolated, and I've got that on CD here somewhere. Oh, awesome! You could just yeah. You, there's no uh, there's nothing but the two guitars, and it's just it's really amazing. Yeah, the, the tones are beautiful. They're both. I, was Dickie playing an SG at that time, or was you he, know what? I I thought so uh, because I saw some footage of. Um, of something, and I heard that tone, and it was around the same time, or there were some pictures from the Fillmore at the same, and he was using the SG. Um, but man, his tone on there is—it's my favorite Dicky tone. You know what I mean? Oh, it's, oh yeah, yeah. Dick Dicky is fabulous. I love his playing. Uh, his vibrato is beautiful. His phrasing is beautiful. His tone is right. Um, Have you ever encountered? Did you ever encounter those guys back in the day in your activities? Of course, not. I've only met Dickie once, and that was just about four years ago, five years ago. And that was at a Gibson function in Nashville. They had a Southern Rock tribute oh, guitar. Remember that? Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. I saw that. And, yeah, with the heart weird thing. Yes. I had Jimmy Hall take me over and introduce me. And he was, he was cordial. He was quiet, but he was cordial. Yeah. Yeah. And then him and Jack Pearson went up on stage and we know what happened after that. Right. <laughs> yes, but, uh, no, I never, I never, of course, Dwayne, I'd never, man, I, when, when I was living, I was like a senior in high school when Dwayne died. And, um, 
I mean, I was just a fan. Right. Final, you know, and never, but I've got to talk to people. New to, Delaney Bramlett has told me a lot of great st- stories. Of course, Delaney's gone now. Him and right. Delaney were like, Delaney told me him and King Curtis and um, Dwayne were like the three musketeers, you know, uh-huh. they, they would do some crazy stuff. But uh, I feel like I know, I feel like I know him. I, I feel like these guys like Hendrix and Dwayne and people like that, man, I think they would just been wonderful. To, or Paul Kossoff. I think they would be right. cool to get to know. I think they were just regular guys. Right. They just had a, they just had great gifts, you know? And right. Absolutely. As little Richard said, and they put it, put it out, you know, but right. you ever seen a little thing about, yeah, that's yep. great. But uh, never, never, I only met, of course, I know Warren Haynes. I'm, I'm sure you know Warren. Do you know You know, I've Warren? never, well, I've met him one time. But well, he's great. Like, you've got to know these guys, man. They all, they, they love you. I'm sure they know all about what you do. And uh, Warren, I met Warren like 1982 when I was running McDowell. He was playing with David Allen Cole. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we 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 become friends way back then, you know. And of course, he went on to do different things after that. And uh, of course, I I left Ronnie McDowell in '89 and uh, lost track with him just a little bit. But I see I see him every now and then, you know, yeah. every now and then. Yeah, he's great. I mean, I I I love that. Uh, one of my favorite concerts of all time was um, probably nineteen. 19- it was whenever that Shades of Two Worlds record came out. The kind of their their the Allman oh, Brothers yeah. comeback record with yeah. with uh, uh, with Warren on it, and um, mm-hmm. it was a it was a triple bill up in Minnesota. It was called the Dog Days of Summer, and it was uh, the Radiators, Little Feet, and the Allman Brothers. And it oh, was yeah. a perfect summer day, and it, it was needless to say that that oh, yeah, and they were all on their game. It was it was it was fantastic. Of course, it was it was little feet without uh, without Lowell at that point. But I love that band. You know, I mean, Paul Barrer, um, who I got to be good buddies with. He, you know, he wrote some of my favorite Little Feet songs. So it was it was great to see those guys. Yeah. Then. But the but the the Bros were were doing all the stuff from that that record. You know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of bird. Remember that that cool instrumental tune? And oh was, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Matter of fact, didn't they play Summerfest? We played Summer. I know it's Summerfest. Uh, oh, back around 1993, I think the Allman Brothers and Albert Collins played. Do you remember? Yep. Yep. Because I was, I, I watched the Allman Brothers just a little bit in the front, front of the stage. And it, it's just, it was the most majestic sound. I, I can't describe it. It was like right. a wash. Them guys yeah. had a, Oh, it was something spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. And, when they were and, firing uh, on all cylinders, it was definitely a yeah. cross-dimensional force. Yeah, because I, I got talking to, because I got to know Albert Collins a little bit, because I ran into him out in California, and we become kind of pin. this is back when people would write little notes back and forth, you know? Yeah. And uh, and we were backstage somewhere, and and we I got my picture taken with him, you know, finally, and we were talking, they said, well, we're playing in Cincinnati. Why don't you come up and jam tomorrow night? And I was like, oh, man. And we, we were going home, and I would have to driven quite a ways. But but 
he passed away. It was maybe like two years after that. I really regret not going up there. But you know, you know, Albert, he was very fierce. He would get you on stage and he'd pet your butt and send you off real quick, you know. Right. He'd give you a sonic whipping, you know. <laughs> but I thought he was a sweetheart. He was a sweetheart. Yeah. But that was in Milwaukee. I, I, uh, there was a really cool record store up there. Maybe I've asked you this before. It was like in a basement, like a, a lot of old records. I remember, I'm sure it was there. Well, there's exclusive companies, pretty good record. Uh, record this, this would have been in the 90s. And uh, there was a, I bet it's no longer there because uh, I remember the guy had a lot of old radio station surveys in there. Like countdowns. Oh, uh, I, I I remember there was a really cool. I can't remember the name of it, but there was a really cool record store where the guy had a, all the cool old root stuff that you couldn't find anywhere else. He had it all, and I, I believe that's the store because that was the last time I was there that I remember. Anyway, but um, that's one of my f- fond memories of Milwaukee was Summerfest. We because I think we done it about three times, maybe. Yeah, and Hubert Sumlin lived up there for a little yes, bit. Yes, he did. He did yeah. indeed. Yeah, Hubert. I, I remember talking to Hubert at Summerfest that year. It, it was fun, man. But uh, hey, buddy, it's been a journey, you know. It's been a, quite a journey. Indeed. You know? And, uh, you know, we're kind of getting through this pandemic slowly but surely, I believe. Right. Do you see a little light ahead? I hope so. You know, I mean, uh, we can. Mm-hmm. it can only get better at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Last year was kind of weird. Um I think especially around April, because I didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, right. there was a lot of fear. There was a fear factor at play. And um, I had planned on, I went and got my Mickey Baker books out. And I said, oh, okay, man, I'm going to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't think I really quite accomplished what I wanted to. <laughs> but, but hey, you know, the Headhunters, we ended up playing about nine shows last year. Oh, Okay. We played about nine shows. Did you play very much at all, Al? Well, we did a bunch of stuff right up until uh, mm-hmm. we had a pretty pretty busy uh, January and February. And then I did stuff through the first week in March, and then everything stopped. And and that yeah. was a lot. I mean, but I've been doing a bunch of live. You know, I do four four to five live streams a week from the room here, either with Dylan, myself, or with the band. I'm doing yeah. stuff with the yeah. band this weekend. Yeah. And Toby comes down from Minneapolis, and away we go. So he's coming well, down tomorrow. You're you're uh, you've influenced me to to take. Of course, as you can see, I'm, I'm I'm I wasn't quite prepared with the power and stuff. But I've got to learn these things because if we get hit again, you, we, that's what we got to do. Right. And um, uh, I'm actually working on my radio studio in the other room. I've I've got it set up. It just needs wiring up that I could literally do my show right from here to the radio station. Right. You know, if it got too crazy, sure. it got too crazy. And, you know, in the radio show, I was able to keep that going on Monday nights and uh, played about nine hit on her shows. But, man, I had I had COVID back in November. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. I, I'm not laughing about it. I, but uh, I missed one hit on her gig because of that. But when I got, man, I didn't even want to play guitar while I had that. I, it was weird because I was really fatigued. And when I got done, got through that, my my finger, my calluses were kind of soft. It kind of scared me because uh-huh. I that was the most time I had never played, really. But uh, I got through it fine. It, it was not one of the severe cases, thank God. You know? Good, good. Yeah, yeah, made it through. But 
hey, we're still here, and Headhunters, we're going to start a new uh, CD next, uh, album, I guess. I don't know what we right. call it now. Right. Next Thursday, we're going to uh, all gather up in the studio and go through our sacks of demos of songs we've written over the years, and maybe somebody's written lately, and we'll, we'll just go at it, you know, and awesome. do our thing. And I've got another side project I did with my stepson, John, and uh, another fellow. It's a trio. And we're going to release that sometime this year. And um, just keep doing what we do. Absolutely. Got to keep on keeping on. But you've got to, too, man. I know you are. You, you Like I say, you you stayed very busy online. Uh, and Well, I was fortunate you, that uh, I just kind of fell into some situations where most of the stuff was based on, you know, doing online stuff. So when COVID hit, I was it wasn't that big of a transition. You know what I mean? It, was, it sucks because the band was doing you know, uh, a lot of stuff. We were finally, I mean, we'd always done stuff in Europe, but we were finally got a good agent in the, in the States mm -hmm. and started doing some touring and it was really yeah. starting to gain some momentum. Yes. And then of course COVID hit. So that's, that's stopped. But I feel like it's still going because we're doing enough live shows and people are mm -hmm. tuning in sure. or not, I mean, live here, you know, uh, that people are still tuning in. So I think that once it clears and in some kind of you know, balance comes back. Cause I think there's going to be a long period of time, the transitional period where mm -hmm. everyone's going to be tripping over each other to get gigs at various different clubs. And there'll be seven holds on a date and all this kind of stuff. And you'll, you know, so we'll probably have to do stuff that's all kind of driving distance from home. You know what I mean? Oh, we got a St. Louis gig. Well, let's do St. Louis and this and then go back home. Or we got yeah. you know I mean? to have yeah. to be stuff like that. I think, Well, I, but, but you know, I'm game for whatever. Yeah, it's like what I, what I tell people, I say when, when it finally we get the, the green light, it'll be like Kentucky Derby Day. Da -da 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 and here comes the horses out of the chute. Right, exactly. You know? Exactly. And uh, I, I love being home. I've been on the road on a bus before that in a van in the 70s, you know, but on a bus since 1981 every year. So, you know, the, the there's a part of me really love being home with my family because I had not got to spend time with them. Like, like yeah, we're lucky that we don't, we're not gone all the time, but I was able to spend time with them and I got my basement clean pretty yeah. much. I, I still got another 10% to go, but, but it's, it's down to, I'm going to get it done, you know, and you I, really we have a similar mission ahead of us, the basement and the garage. Me. You've inspired me, man, because I watch your your videos and I watch you a lot. And I go, you've been doing it a long time, and you do a great job at it. Uh, I've just got I got to get better at it, you know. I got to be a little more prepared. I'm, if you could see what I was using for power right now, you'd laugh. <laughs> it's it's for it's a it's an, it's, a, it's a it's a very act, pretty much, you know. But <laughs> hey, it makes the phone sound better. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, listen, my friend, it's been great chatting with you. We should probably wrap it up here, but thanks so much for spending some time with us. It's great uh -oh. talking with you. Great Anytime. seeing you. Great, great hearing the tales. And uh, I look forward to uh, hearing your new record for sure. And, and again, I always enjoy uh, hearing your licks from the outhouse. They're always oh, juicy man. and succulent. Thank you, man. I'm such a fan of what you do. I, before I even got to meet you, man, I, I was in awe. I got a buddy in Louisville, Paul McGarry, and I would send, we'd send videos back and forth. I think you did a uh, clinic in Louisville one time, maybe. I did, yeah, yeah. I think Paul went to that. I, I wasn't able to go there. And I can kick myself for not being able to do that uh, 
your guitar show or whatever you was doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that festival. With JD, and, and I haven't even talked to JD in a long time, so I hope he's okay. Yeah, he's doing yeah. good. He's doing uh, some online stuff, and we've been uh, harassing each other online, so that's been good. He thinks, looks like he's doing well. Good. Well, hopefully we can do something. Hey, you know, the Headhunters will play. Some of these days, you can come jam with us, you know. Oh, I'd love to. That would be oh, a, well, that, that, a, that, my that, that, honor and pleasure. You guys awesome. would love to have you up to play, you know. Matter of fact, I'll just go, I'll let you give me my guitar, and I'll just go to the buffet, and I'll eat. So, <laughs> no, I'll stand up for the action on that, you know. No, we'd love to have you do that. And uh, Oh, it'd be a and, pleasure. Yeah. But you take care of yourself and your family. You too, my friend. Stay healthy, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Yeah, and all the Wildwood family out there. And I, yes, indeed. I'd love to see that place. Yeah. Oh, you guys. And I'd love to come out there and see the store someday. Uh, oh, man, the new store is awesome. That's that's Louisville, right? Louisville, Colorado? Uh, Louisville, Colorado. That's it. Yep. Of course, the way we say it, Louisville. Louisville. Exactly. Louisville. <laughs> yeah, that's what we say. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, All right, guys. my friend. Well, you have a good one. Thanks again. Hey, end it nice and make me look like I actually know what I'm doing, okay? Oh, absolutely. They'll, it'll be majestic. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank All right, you. my friend. Take All it right. easy. Bye-bye. See you. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the Mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon.